You are now listening to the Minority Trailblazer Podcast. And I'm your host, Greg E. Hill, the Culture Change Agent. And I know last week I said this week was the last episode of the season. But I lied. (laughs) Actually, next week will be the final episode. But... We had to push the final episode back because I just was so excited to share this man's story, his journey. And I just had to get in in season one for y'all, for the people. So, yeah, we're going to release today's episode today. And before I even begin to get into his intro and to get excited, get pumped up and share his journey, his story. I just want to say, as always, thank you for all the support. Thank you for all the ideas. Thank you for everything man we have blown past 8500 downloads rapidly approaching 10,000 mark and this all started four months ago with a vision with a journey just to share the stories of our black our brown and next year our latino our asian people so thank you again i've heard i've heard ideas i know we're adding an intro we're adding outro we're adding sponsors like i don't want to get too excited and share too much but season two, we're taking this thing to a whole nother level. So definitely your feedback does not fall on deaf ears. Also, keep sending the request to come on the show or to feature a person. Send it to Greg at GreggyHill.com. Like, definitely. I, I, I love it all, man. I know last week I done got five or six requests for some bulky people that's about to provide a lot of input, a lot of value to our audience. So definitely do that. And I've been hit up a lot of times for sponsorships as well. And next season we will debut a few sponsors that align, of course, with our values, align, of course, with adding value to you. And also some pretty good deals. So if you're a company out there, if you're a small business or if you are you work for a company that want to reach this demographic, shoot me an email. There's going to be more information online on the website, www.greggyhill.com. But shoot me an email, greg at greggyhill.com. And we'll definitely get into it. And I'm, I'm going to let the cat out the bag. Next episode, the finale, I will be sharing my story, my journey, my lessons learned via podcast and everything else, and also hosting a Q&A session. So if you have any questions for me, leave a question via Twitter, at Gregory Hill, or um, on the IG or Snap, Gregory E. Hill. It just send, send me some questions about the podcast, lessons learned, or whatever you have, whatever questions you may have for me regarding season one, definitely hit me up on Snap, hit me up on Twitter, hit me up on Instagram, at Gregory Hill, or just leave a, uh, a message on my website, so definitely, um, I'm expecting the Q&As to start rolling in, so um, definitely, 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 and before we get into the episode, I got one more thing, and I'm a harp on it, and next year, it's going to be simple, because I'm going to add it to the intro, Believe, leave, leave a review. Please, please, please leave us a review on iTunes. We're going to add some incentives in next season, but right now it's just a cold ask. If you're listening right now, if you listen to more than one episode and you love the content, you love what's going on, please leave a review, okay? <laughs> I had to get that out of the way. So we about to jump into our interview. And you know, if you've been listening to the Minority Trailblazer podcast, our only goal is we deliver weekly interviews with some of the most young, successful, innovative minorities of of color in a variety of industries to educate empower and inspire our current and future generation of leaders so let's jump into the show for all my musicians or those interested in music production the entertainment industry or just the whole understanding of music outside of the artist this is the show for you and i'm gonna read a snippet of the bio of our guest today, and then I'm gonna let him do the talking. But I mean, our guest is a proud graduate. And I'm like, I know y'all like, man, why we have all these Aggies on the Minority Trailblazer podcast? Because Aggies are doing great things. But he's a proud graduate of North Carolina A&T State University with a degree in business administration. Um, then he continued his schooling at Atlanta Institute of Music. And after taking private lessons, he was able to share the stage with some of Atlanta's greatest musicians and some gospel icons i'm talking like tasha cobbs william murphy bishop paul morton jasper williams then after leaving atlanta he relocated to raleigh north carolina only to be put back to work i mean he was hired as as a drummer for five a hip-hop band based out of greensboro north carolina right and during his time with five he was able to accomplish 
a lot. I mean, Red Bull soundstage artists, over 65 placements on network television. I'm talking MTV, VH1, Oxygen, etc. Selected by Coca-Cola and Spotify to be one of the world's 52 emerging bands in the world. I mean, in the world. I mean, 52 songs of happiness, global campaign, right up in the Billboard magazines, corporate tour sponsored by Xbox, sharing the stage with, with, with acts such as Out of Sight, Juicy J, Mike Jones, and many, many more. I mean, um, he's had the pleasure of playing and touring all across the world um, with some American Idol finalists, Reese Palmer, which is a national recording country artist. I mean, not just African-American. I'm talking about different lanes, different things. Don Flemings, Grammy Award winning artist. And he is currently endorsed by TRX Symbols, man. So I know I, let, I read a lengthy, a lengthy bio. And this kind of just painting the picture on some of the values he's going to add today. Please give us your ears. Give us your eyes. Y'all can't, y'all can't see me, but give us your heart. All right. So without further ado, I want to introduce my brother, my dog, my boy, Mike Johnson to the Minority Trailblazer podcast. Welcome to the show, brother. Thanks for having me, man. Thank you. Thank you. Man, I'm excited where we're going to take it today, man. And you already know, I know you've been listening to the podcast. You know I always start the show off with a quote, man. So please hit us with your quote and let us know, not only to share the quote, but give us a story on how you apply that quote in your everyday life. Um, I'm going to throw a loop. I actually have two. It was really hard to narrow this quote <laughs> down. Um, one is... Uh, from a biblical aspect and the other is just more so like an everyday life kind of motivational quote okay uh the biblical quote is uh second timothy verse 2 verse 15 and it basically just says study to show yourself approved unto god a workman that needeth not to be ashamed um that is huge for me because i am a firm believer in always studying and knowing your craft mm -hmm. always being prepared always taking the extra step to you know know what you're doing to know where you're going it's it's one thing to be able to play an instrument or it's one thing to know your industry but it's a whole it takes you to in my opinion to another level when you know the craft of it when you know the history of it know why you're doing what you're doing know who did it before you why they did it know where it comes from know the origin um in the second quote um i apply this more so to my everyday life um it says, as I look back on my life and I realized that every time I thought I was rejected for something good, I was actually redirected for something better. Mm. Um, that is huge on my life because being a professional musician, being in the production field, you get a lot of no's. You get a lot of rejection. And if you can't take constructive criticism and turn that negative energy into motivation, then you'll crumble. So, so that's something that I take every day, even bad experiences growing up. I took all of those things and redirected that fear as motivation so I could continue and work hard to achieve my goal. Man, that's freaking, that's freaking deep, man. And if you could, if you could share, if you could share a story on specifically the second quote, of, um, bring us, bring us to where you were at a story on how that, how that quote affected you, how you took something that might have been conceived as a negative and how that situation kind of turned around? Um, I, okay, I, I'll, I'll open the book. Like today, I, I feel like, you know, I'll, uh, I'll dig deeper than just musicianship or mm -hmm. you know, production work. So uh, just a little bit about myself. I was born and raised in Durham, North Carolina. Um, my parents um, divorced when I was young. I was five years old. My parents divorced. And not to go too deep into, you know, either parent, but there were a lot of issues in the home. Mm -hmm. Some that would consider would destroy a young male's, African-American male's life at that age. Um, my mother worked hard to make ensure that I wouldn't be a statistic. She worked hard to make sure that everything we went through growing up wouldn't negatively affect me. And that's where that quote and that motivation comes from it was from my strength from my mother who raised me since I was five until you know I went off to college. Mm -hmm. uh, she 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 ensured that yes I saw a lot of things, but she also ensured that I would never look at those things in a negative energy and become what I saw. Mm -hmm. She always pushed me to say, "Hey, I know this is what we're in right now, but you're better than that. Don't mm -hmm. look at this as what you'll be. Look at it as what you don't want to be." And so 
I always looked at those situations and said, hey, when I get older, I'm not going to be in this position. When I get older, I'm not going to do this or I'm not going to be this person. I'm not going to be that kid with his pants hanging down on the corner. I'm not going to be that kid that's in jail and in trouble all the time. And just kind of just reflected in my motivation to just be better. Nah, man, that's that's real, dog. And I, it's crazy. I was talking to a, a group of students last, um, actually two days ago, and I said, this is specifically for ones that, and for people right now, if you're listening right now, if you're in a situation around you that is not the best, I say the difference between those that um, that are in bad situations, those that excel and thrive out of those and those that succumb is the the core is they have a goal in mind because sometimes if you have a goal you have something to look forward to you have something to look forward to and if you don't have no goal or nothing to look forward to that you can really identify you're going to be focused on what's around you but if you have something that you're, you're reaching towards you're striving for and you just think and you wish and you know that you can get there you're going to be more so you're not looking around you. you're not looking at your situation or what you don't have you have to reframe your mind and say, what do I have? Like, what I have legs, I have eyes. A lot of times we have computers, we have books. Let's bring it down to a portion of a little kid, right? A little kid saying, matter of fact, I'm not even going to start preaching. But, yeah, just, just remember to make sure kind of what, like what, what Mike said, look past where what is around you, whatever situation you're in right now. A lot of young adults may not be looking for work and look for all these things. But don't look at, okay, man, I ain't got no job. Look at what opportunities are available right now for you to do, whether it's helping somebody, whether it's volunteering, work for free. Always have that foresight, man. And we're going to transition into the opening of the show, man. So, how we do the show, if you're new to the Minority Trailblazer podcast, we have three portions. The first portion is the past and where we kind of delve deep into who was who Mike Johnson before before he started traveling the world, working for all these tours. How did his passion, his story, his influence develop to get to this level? Then we talk about the present. That's when it gets exciting. The present is when we talk about what he currently is doing now and also is going to share some steps for those that are looking to get into the industry and say some things that could could help you on your way and add value. So definitely tune into the second part. And the third portion is the future round, where we share kind of what his goals and dreams for in the future, um, what legacy he wants to leave behind. And then the last round, which I think I, I think is the most exciting round, is the culture change round, which is a series of five questions, rapid answer, rapid fire, just to pick his brain on what motivates him, what moves him, what he's reading, how he's thinking, and all that jazz, man. So we're going to kick it off, and I want you, Mike, to just explain to our audience where you're from your background kind of who you are and you can definitely talk speak a little bit about your your, if your current family now just paint that picture of kind of where you are and, and and where you're from okay uh first and foremost uh born and raised in Durham North Carolina Bull City Bull City you know um yeah I went to Hillside graduated from Hillside um lived all over Durham man my family moved around a lot um from there um, of course, as you stated before, I attended and graduated from North Carolina A&T University in Greensboro, North Carolina. Mm-hmm. Uh, that was a decision that was really made by my mother. Uh, <laughs> like, to be honest with everybody, man, like I, um, uh, I never really had the desire to go to college until my senior year in high school. Uh-huh. And that was still a forced, uh, and you were in the band in high school, right? You were in the band yeah. all four years. Like, how long yeah. have you been playing your instruments? Like, how long? I want to paint that oh, picture too about man. your craft. Like, how long have you been? And and for those that don't know, um, Mike is, and I read it in his bio. I read his bio, but he's actually a professional musician and a production manager. So I want you to kind of delve into how long have you been in that musical lane in that sphere? Right. Well, my father uh, has been a professional musician. He's a guitarist. Mm-hmm. He's been doing that uh, well before I even came out the womb. And as a matter of fact, he still tours the world now. Like, that's his nine to five. Uh, so when I was younger, my pops had a studio in the garage. And uh, funny thing was, he always tells me the story about how I told him I wanted to be a rapper when I grew up. <laughs> <laughs> but that's long gone. Uh, and he got me my first electronic drum set. And... um he cut on a metronome, if, and if and no one's familiar with a metronome, it's just like a device that keeps timing. Mm-hmm. So that's all it is. You can set it at how many beats per minute, what have you. And he gave me an electronic drum set, and he cut on a metronome, and he noticed that I was staying in time. And then he was like, huh. So he just kept investing in drums and things of that nature. And uh, I kind of fell off 
from the age like the when my parents got divorced I kind of fell off um, I really didn't practice that much and um one day I think I was in middle school and a drum instructor came by and I just picked up some sticks and they went up to my mom and said hey you should consider this kid you know for doing something and then I got in Hillside's band and I fell in love with it uh Xavier Kaysen was our director at the time I owe him a lot he uh what he taught me, I really couldn't succeed in the industry today. Something as simple as reading music, sight reading, things of that nature, the origin and the root of the music that I learned and know, grew to love, I learned from him. Mm-hmm. And so uh, from reading music and learning all my basic rudiments and getting you know scholarship offers later on down the road, all kind of dri- was driven from Xavier Case and how he like pushed us to be better and be a student of the game. From there, um, product from the production side, I'm still I'm still a newbie to it, man. Mm-hmm. It's a that's a all God thing. I um, I was playing drums for the production company that I worked for, and um, one of the employees at the time was running front of house, which is basically running the sound mm-hmm. for that gig. And we just started talking, um, nothing crazy. So he introduced me to the CEO. And long story short, uh, the production company is located in Charlotte, North Carolina. At the time, I was in the Raleigh Dermot. I drove up Friday night for uh, um, for an interview. You know, I just my wife and I we, we just had a baby, and she kind of gave me this notion like, "Look, you can't be gone two, three weeks at a time anymore. Like, you got to find something that you love that you could do, and still take your one offs, but you got to be home more." So this was the perfect opportunity for me to, you know, get into the production world, handle backline and like still do shows, but be home. And the CEO is, is very aggressive. And so we ate at one of his favorite Italian restaurants. And then he looked me, he looked at me in my face and was like, hey, man, um, I really like you. You're young. I think you could do this. And I was like, well, cool. You know, you know, when can I start? And, and mind you, I was fresh off the road, like uh-huh. maybe two weeks off the road. Mm-hmm. And he was like, hey, uh, when can you start? And I was like, well, you know, I can start immediately. And he was like, well, you can start Monday. But Monday? Gosh, but okay. Mind you, in Charlotte. Mm-hmm. So needless to say, I slept on a lot of couches in Charlotte until we could, uh, you know, get relocated and find a house. And it was a very, very abrupt change. It was just so literally. you stay in Charlotte now? Yeah, yeah, I, we live in Charlotte. We have a house in South Charlotte. Wow, wow, I didn't even know, man. I don't even know. And we're gonna dig deep into that story too, man. But question two: So at A and T, did you, did you, did you? Were you in the band A and T? I was not. Um, I got a scholarship offer to to do it, um, mm-hmm. but they were super intense. Like when I say <laughs> intense, like respect to all the Cold Steel brothers. I got a lot of I got a lot of friends that Cold Steel. I learn. I know all the cadences. I love it. But to be quite honest with you, I think when I reached the collegiate level, like my heart wasn't in the marching band anymore. Mm-hmm. It had shifted towards live performance behind an acoustic drum set. And so the passion that those guys shared to be on that field wasn't in me anymore. Mm-hmm. So it was more so a respect thing for me to step away. Yeah, I had the talent to do it, mm-hmm. but my heart wasn't there. So I wasn't going to take it as serious as those guys that wanted to be on the field at 3, 4 in the morning. Mm-hmm. Or, you know, would leave class and go straight to practice. I just didn't have that in me to do that. And I knew it. So I just respectively, you know. And got you. In. And then at your time at A&T, you had, I know, because um, your time at A&T, how did you, like, what did you do to continue working and defining your skill set? Because I know it didn't just happen, okay, you were A&T and then boom, you traveling across the world. What did you do during college outside of academics to continue working on your craft, honing your craft, and mastering it? Um, I did a lot. Um, I was a firm believer in practicing every single day. Mm-hmm. Um, maybe four or five hours at a time. I go to class, come home, practice. Um, my mother, who uh, bless her heart, uh, <laughs> went through a struggle with me in college because I would be the kid. Like, hey, ma, I got a call from X and X artist. I'm gonna just take a month off in the middle of the semester <laughs> and go, you know, go to it. And my mom would drive to Greensboro. Bless her, I never forget this. She would drive to Greensboro, man, show up to my apartment and fuss me out, like <laughs> literally fuss me out. And um, I, I didn't see the bigger picture at the end because I was the first one. Um, in my generation and my family to actually graduate from college. My mother is 
uh, actually at State now, mm-hmm. getting her doctor's degree. Oh, PhD. wow. That's but, powerful. But education was always huge for my mom because she had to, you know, drop out of college to raise us. Mm-hmm. So she always pushed it. And I was the first one uh, to, to get a degree. So she was just determined. Mm-hmm. But uh, I did a lot of things. Uh, through college, I worked at a community center. Mm-hmm. And I um, blessed the city of Greensboro. They funded a drum line for me to teach the inner city kids. Oh, wow. So I got to instruct 20 some odd inner city youth for the four years I was in college. They were in all the parades around the Raleigh Durham, Chapel Hill, Greensboro area. Mm-hmm. Um, I um, played at the local church a lot. Um, I still do. I'm a firm believer in giving my gift back, and mm-hmm. that's one of the ways that I do it. Mm-hmm. Um, I was playing around with local artists uh, at the time in the city. It was Vanessa Ferguson. She's still dope now. Um, just a lot of different places in the area that basically my my life literally in college was class from eight to five, no, around eight to two, go to work from two to six, and then get off and go to somebody's rehearsal and gig the weekend. So that's all I did all four years. Man. And then that work to two to six is crazy how you say that because you were able to, and I think a lot of people out there, they have a lot of passion and they be like, okay, well, I need to be by myself working on my crash or somewhere else. But you were able to, whoa, helping helping students, helping young kids, um, working with the drums, working with that, but also continue working on your own passion as far as like doing that job. So it's not you are making money, helping people, but also working on your craft. And I think a lot of people can get something from that because a lot of us have dreams and ambitions to maybe they want to start our own consulting business or maybe want to, uh, we want to do something outside of what our, our current nine to five is defined us as doing. But we say, how can we do it? But there are ways if you just get, if think about it and try to manifest it that you can help people, but also work on your craft and work on your goals, man. And I just want to ask question too. From college, right? Mm-hmm. When did you or what was your first big break to to allow you just to begin traveling the world? Because I'm trying to connect that dot. So because you're you're a talented musician in high school, you decide you go to NT, decide not to do the band, and now you're you're working, you're working your craft, working your craft, working your craft. What was that the the focal point, or what was the the tipping point to allow you to to take your career to that next level to traveling across the country and across the world with with, with people? Uh, I want to say two things. Mm-hmm. One was the church. Um, a lot of people, you know, look at the the church culture and say, you know, it's kind of weird in a sense. You know, they kind of have their own thing. They do their own thing. But that that was the platform for me. That really built my character, man. Like the church was the first place to tell me no. Like I never forget it. I was 13 years old, getting on drums thinking I'm just going to play. And the guy just looked at me. He gave me like three tries. And he was like, hey, man, like you're talented. But it's a huge difference being able to show off on drums and then play a record. He's like, you got to learn how to play a record. And he kicked me off the drum. This was a big church. He kicked it you was, off the drums. Kicked me off. The, it was 500 people at his rehearsal. It's a huge church. Kicked me off the drums in front of everybody, man. And I said, I like I said, like go back to the quote that I had stated before. I like to take all these experiences and, and use the negative energy for a positive outcome. So instead of crying about it, I went home, worked on how to play a record. A year later, I'm on the road with them. Wow. You know? Um, the second biggest thing that I think helped me was getting accepted into Atlanta Institute of Music. Um, that segued a lot. Because in college, like I just told you, my mom was like not having me going on the road. Mm-hmm. <laughs> like I had to get my degree first. And um, <clears throat> getting accepted into Atlanta Institute of Music opened a lot of doors because a lot of the guys that went to that school with me mm-hmm. for the short period of time I was there were all off doing something, you know, on a larger scale. Mm-hmm. And they helped set up, you know, that face to face interaction with the artists that could take us on the road. So I owe Atlanta Institute of Music a lot, a lot, a lot of credit because just being accepted and taking those private lessons and then meeting the people I needed to meet, you know, catapulted me to being able to go on the road and do the things that I'm still doing today. Man, that's big. That's big. That's big. And when you say and you could if you just quickly could talk on it, man, how was that first experience like, Okay. Your local from the from from the bull, one of your first to kind of go to college, then you get accepted to Atlanta Institute of Music, and then your first time going on the road, road on a tour. Like, what was that experience like, man? 
Um, it was fun. I was um, I was young. Uh, I, <laughs> I was young. I was doing uh, I wasn't doing a lot of reckless things. I was I was pretty well behaved on the road. Um, but I think the biggest thing that I love to preach is learn how to manage your money. Mm-hmm. Please. Going on the road, that's the biggest lesson that I had. When my wife and I first met, I was on the road making a lot of money. Mm-hmm. And I have no idea what that money is now. And if you could, and and if you could, I don't want to get too personal, but but what kind of what kind of money do people make tr- usually, typically in the industry standard, not you, but typically in the industry standard for people musicians um, that that are on the road? Um, it varies. Uh-huh. Um, if you're talking, you know, a large tour like a world tour, but like you know, a Justin Timberlake or something like that, I've seen people make as much as you know six to ten grand a week. Mm-hmm. I've seen. You know, guys make well over a hundred k in you know a tour. Mm-hmm. Whereas you know, on some of the, like when I first started, personally, you know, I would do you know maybe fifteen hundred to two grand a week. Mm-hmm. You know, something. So that's when I first started with the groups I was with, and um, it kind of just goes from there. The 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 higher caliber artists you're with, mm-hmm. you know. The pay, the pay increase. Yeah. Uh-huh. So I know we we just talked about your biggest break. We just talked about you going on the world tours or doing a lot. And it's like, yeah, wow, life is coming at you, man. You're blowing up, and, and as far as in your own in your own lane. But if you could take us to a point, what was your what was your biggest? What would you say is your what was your biggest failure? And I know some people like to say failure. They, they're like, oh, I don't believe failure. But I just I just want to kind of bring bring the audience kind of um, to a story to a point where things didn't go where you thought it was going to go and it was like wow I had all the success and now I have to have to maybe rechange some things. Mm, I got two. Okay. Uh one was I had just moved to Atlanta mm-hmm. and I had got um I had got hired to be a full-time musician at one of the biggest churches in Atlanta. It was Salem Bible um, that's Dottie People's home church. I mean, two campuses, both of them said five thousand seats. Like it's a big deal. And I was young. I had came into the situation like, man, I'm trying to show off. You know, like I'm about to go in here. I got these, you know, DW drums, five thousand dollar kit in front of me, <laughs> playing from all these people. Like I want to show off. You know, I want to show everybody that I can really play because I'm new to the city. Mm-hmm. Nobody knows. So you about to start off with a bang. You're like, Yo, I'm this trying is it. to, yeah. <laughs> and the biggest thing that I still hold to me today from that situation was they told me for four weeks straight, like, hey, man, we know you got this jazz background. We know you can play, but we don't need you to do all that. We just need you to just play. Like, you don't, we don't need you to do any fields. Just play, you know? And that was the, I don't want to say failure, but it was a large lesson. Because I ended up losing that gig. Mm. And they that gig was somebody's salary. Like, they took that very serious. Mm-hmm. And I lost that gig from being young, naive, uh, ignorant to, you know, just doing what the job requires. Mm-hmm. You know, sometimes we try to show everything we can do to impress people when the only thing we need to do it's do the bare minimum what the job requires. Mm. Um, that was something that I still carry to me to, with, to this day. And it's, it was a life lesson. Because if I could go back and just say, hey, man, if I just calm down, I still could have that gig. I still mm-hmm. could have been there, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, I think the second biggest failure that I can remember, uh, I auditioned for Kelly Rowland in New York. Mm-hmm. Um, and I didn't get it. Um, but i never forget that how that motivated me to keep going. Uh, the MD at the time was this guy named Joe Flip Wilson. He's huge. He's an MD, the, music director? Yeah, musical director. He was, his name is Joe Flip Wilson. And I was so nervous that I wasn't prepared to freestyle. Like when they had records that they sent out to everybody and you had to learn them all and they just would throw one at you that you had to play. Mm-hmm. And they told me to freestyle and I completely <laughs> dropped the ball. Like completely dropped the ball. To the point where the MD, man, I'll never forget it. He had his feet up on the table texting people. Oh, man. Goodness. What was you, you playing out there, bro? <laughs> you know, and um, he just kind of just said, well, thank you. 
you know? And I was just like, yo, I cannot believe I wasted this gas to come to New York. And, you know, I wasted this opportunity. But it was one of those things I got to talk to, you know, the musical director. I got to talk to, you know, a lot of people that were heavily involved. And they gave me some serious critique and some serious, you know, constructive criticism that kind of took me, you know, to the next level. I was super young then. I was I was still in college. So, oh. you know, it was one of those things where, you know, that was that those two situations probably, you know, put me in the headspace like I will never put myself in a position to be that guy again ever in life. Man, that's that's powerful. First of all, thank you for sharing those stories. And second, to go to your your first point you made and even myself, and this is for those that and I think this is really relatable for those that are or kind of not established in their career, but pretty good at what they do. But that that thing of accepting accepting criticism and then making those changes. Because as a speaker, my, my last year, I'm pretty I'm, I'm pretty good speaker. You hire me, I, I'm pretty good. But a lot of times, I I wasn't I didn't I didn't record when I when I when I when I spoke. I had video, but the video I just used a child of promotion. I wasn't studying the video, and I never critiqued myself. I never had somebody give me any feedback because honestly to be real I was scared because I felt that I was pretty good already I didn't want anybody to tell me that yo you need to improve on this so I didn't and it's like if you want to be a master at your craft like you said want to be the best at what you do and really create yourself as an expert in that arena you have to have to have people that are above you giving you the feedback you making adjustments you have to because that's the only way you're going to know your weak spots your blind spots so um, I challenge you all, all if you're a speaker, if you're a musician, that whatever you're doing, please don't have blinders or blindfolds on on what you're doing, please. And I get feedback from people that are not in your arena, not your lane, because I mean, I could, if, I couldn't give you feedback on on drums or music, Mike. But you, you, you seek those that are above you to give you feedback, so you can really make those small adjustments, because you know, and you could probably speak to it. It's probably small adjustments that really made the biggest impact in your your playing style. Could you say that? Definitely, definitely. Um, going to like kind of where I started, like I was rooted and grinding in jazz. Like my dad just threw Miles Davis records at me. He threw those records that would give me a foundation in music that wouldn't, you know, go away in 10 years. He made me study the timeless genres. Um, and it's just something as simple as playing a different hi hat pattern one way that'll put you over the next drummer or being able to lay in the pocket and have a feel that'll set you apart from the next musician. It's, it's literally the smaller things in the industry that set you apart. Mm, you're right, you're right, man. So we're about to transition to the present day round. Before we do, I just wanted to ask one last question. If you had to tell yourself something 10 years ago, like from what you know now, what would be the, 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 the top two things you would tell yourself? The top two things that I would tell myself was to take college more seriously and take your craft more seriously. All right, so what is that? Yeah, break that down. Break it down for us. Taking college more seriously, I think I should have done because, man, I was I was so not focused on school. Mm-hmm. And it's sad because school came naturally easy to me. Um, having a business mindset and going to the school of business, auntie, which I love, um, I'm sure later on, on in the show, I can kind of touch on how that helped me mm-hmm. and still helps me today be successful. Um, but I just... I was so focused on the wrong things in, in college. I was focused on, I want to play music, and I was being selfish. I never thought about the bigger picture, about having a higher GPA, how that could have you know, helped. Or, you know, I, I really wish that I would have stepped into you know, North Carolina A&T with the mindset that I'm going to graduate rather than the mindset that I'm going to be a professional musician. And thank God both of them ended up working out, but... I wish I would have, you know, took my education at that time a lot more serious. I was focused on everything else. Mm-hmm. Um, and taking my craft more seriously, I think that <clears throat> when I say that, I'm talking from more so the study aspect of it. Mm-hmm. Um, when I was younger and especially before I got into Atlanta Institute of Music, the only, you know, I guess instruction or the only teachings that I ever received was in high school from Xavier Cason. Mm-hmm. I never really sat down and had, you know, any lessons or, you know, really studied 
the craft that I really wanted to enter in until I was well into college. And um, I'm not saying that hurt me, but I am saying that I'm sort of a nerd to the things that I love. Mm -hmm. And so I think it would have behooved me to really know the music industry, to really know my craft, to really know drums and musicianship on a book side, if you will, for lack of a better term, mm -hmm. than the performance side. Got you, man. That's powerful, man. I ain't gonna, I ain't gonna speak on that. I think that's self, self-explanatory, man. And you dropping some freaking jewels today, man. So we're gonna make our transition to the second phase of our show, and that is present day, and give some actionable advice for those that are looking to get into the the, the music industry. And the first, if you could break it down, because we 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 got that you're a professional musician, a drummer. But can you explain kind of what you do on the production side? Because I know uh, like a year ago when, when I had you come speak um, at the, the summer camp that me and Kendrick Dowdy put on and Kendrick Dowdy now leads today, you spoke a little bit about kind of inline music production. I, I was kind of, I was like, what, what is that? But it sounds dope. So can you explain kind of outside of the musical aspect, what do you do today? Sure. Um, so right now I work for a company in Charlotte, North Carolina uh, named AE Global Media, AE Production Services. I was hired to handle the back line, mm -hmm. which basically is instrumentation. So if you have an artist come into town and they have a live band and they need keyboards, drums, you know, bass mm -hmm. rigs, guitar rigs, things of that nature, DJ gear, it's my job to deliver that gear, have someone set it up, and kind of facilitate that for that particular show, a festival, a concert, what have you. Um, I also, I wear many hats at the company. Uh, I kind of got into the sales aspect of it, and that kind of turned to me being the face of that department. So um, if you go on the website or you have <laughs> got a call the office, I'm normally the point of contact. I'm normally the guy that has to do, you know, the show sites. Um, I stage manage. Um, one of my first stage managing gigs, which I was super nervous for, and to kind of get into what stage managing is, that pretty much means you're in charge of the stage. So you have to keep everything on schedule. You're getting people on and off stage. That's your event, for lack of a better term. And mm -hmm. my first event was Charlie Wilson and Ricky Smiley wow. in front of 15,000 people. And the promoters... Come on, Ch Charlie Wilson? My name's yeah, Charlie? Yeah, yeah. That, wow. was, that was my first stage managed gig man and they're all looking at you to make sure people get off on time you got to get all the cues together you got to get people on stage you got to get people off stage it's it's a tough task and uh, that was my first stage managing gig um what else do i do at ae um i handle all you know the inside sales and accounts um i work with on the corporate side too which is cool um which is where my business degree really helped me tremendously um mm -hmm. the music aspect of it is second nature to me i mean i've been playing the majority of my life i've toured i've done all that stuff so when it comes to a show i know what's needed i know what needs to go there that's a no-brainer but when i have to work with like charlotte city uh charlotte center city partners i have to work with the hta or i gotta work with the chamber um that business savvy like background that i learned from getting my degree at ant helped catapult me to be able to relate and take off my musician hat and put on my professional hat to transition what we do in production to bring it to a corporate aspect. Mm. So that really helped me do stuff. So when you look at all the cool stuff that goes on in the city with uh, any lights, any staging, any sound or anything, nine times out of 10, that's my company and I'm managing that. So if you look at something like First Night, which is basically a big party downtown Charlotte for New Year's Eve and they have everybody come out and it's a light show and it's fireworks and things of that nature. I had to I have to manage that show. Mm -hmm. um, when you look at um, uh, the Bronco Nagurski Awards, which was a nationally televised event, that's basically the the college football defensive player award that's nationally televised on NFL network, CBS, et cetera. Mm -hmm. When you look at any piece of technology that's on that broadcast, I was in charge of facilitating all of that gear and managing that show. Wow. Um, so it's the best of both worlds. I get to, you know, the CEO is an accomplished saxophone jazz musician. Himself. Oh, so you can relate. So it's not like so, he's just not a business hat, but he's kind of like yourself. He, he's right. been, okay. Right. So when I get called some artists to do one offs, um, he lets me go. For for example, I was touring the first 
seven months of the year of 2015 with this Grammy Award winning artist named Don Flemings. I was never home. Wife hated it, but I was never home. Mm -hmm. And he gave me a MacBook and a cell phone and told me to go tour. You know, so wow. he's. I can't speak highly enough about him, and he lets me go when I have uh, stuff. I have to fly out. I go. I come back. So I still get my little fix, you know, of playing drums on a regular basis. But I still, you know, by the grace of God, have you know that foundation here in Charlotte where I come, and I still work in the industry, and then it cross it transitions over to a corporate side too. So. Man, that's that's deep, man. If you could speak on what does a typical day look like? All right, all right, and and, and briefly, typical day look like from it from on tour and then for your job because I know, and and I know it, I know it's flexible or not, but I mean just I know it's, I know it's always shifting. But if you could explain, like, what does a typical day look like? Um, typical day on tour, um, you're on a bus mm -hmm. or a van, and you spend a lot of time on the road. Uh, if you have any days off in the city, that's always fun, especially if it's in a city where you know people, you get to go be a tourist, if you will, and go around, shop, see the city. Uh, but touring is, is uh, it's a different life, man. Like, as I got older, uh, it was tough to deal with because you're literally living out of a suitcase. You know, um, If you're on a major tour bus and you have bunks, then you just go. You know, or if you're just in a van and you stop at hotels, I mean, literally, you got 5 a.m. lobby calls. So say if your show ends at midnight and you get to your hotel at 2, you got three hours of sleep. Mm. You got to get up, take a shower, put on your clothes, lobby call, go load in, sound check by 8. Um, it, could be, it could be a treacherous situation. <laughs> it sounds that, like. Yeah, it could be something that, like, everybody just sees, oh, you're having fun, you're playing drums in front of all these people. But man, like it really can, it could take a toll. Like when I would come back off like a two or three week run, man, I just sleep. Like my wife would be like upset at the time we were just dating and I would get back and I'd be like, look, man, I'm just going to sleep for a while. <laughs> I'll call you when I wake up. Um, but the grind of it was always an adrenaline rush for me. It was something like you have to be, you have to be fit to do it, you know, because every, nobody knows that you have to go through all that stuff. And the practice time, oh my gosh, man, when we would go out for tour, man, we would have a week's practice, 12 hour days of the same show, running the same show, seven days a week for 12 hours. Oh, my goodness. And nobody knows that's the kind of preparation that you have to go through. But, yeah, it's 12-hour it's days, sometimes longer, running the same show. The only time you get the break is when you got to use the restroom or you want something to eat. But it's 12-hour days running the same show. Um, the production side is a, is a little bit less um, stressful, but it's still stressful in its own right. Um, the planning starts in the warehouse. I mean, this is more so of a larger, uh, I guess, planning scale. Than with drums, I'm just the drummer for the artist. Mm -hmm. So I have to make my notes. If, if, if it requires sheet music, I have my sheet music. I make my notes. I know where my hits are. I do that, and I'm good. Once drums are no longer needed, I can run off and do whatever I want to do. Um, with production, since I'm the production manager, everything rests and falls on my shoulders. So I'm in charge of getting all the communication aspects out to the guys, not only pulling the gear in the warehouse and getting it to the show, but also run a show. I have to know what's going on at all times. So I'm in multiple production meetings for shows. I'm in multiple production meetings with my crew, so mm -hmm. they know what their roles are. They know travel. They know logistics. Um, production, well, I think um, the biggest thing that, you know, that I really had to focus on but from being a musician to stepping into production is there's a lot of legal stuff that a lot of people really don't know that you have to deal with. Oh. Um, like when you sign a contract uh, with an artist, they, they present what we call riders. Mm -hmm. And that's pretty much everything that they require for them to put on a show. Mm -hmm. And I've seen some of the weirdest stuff in riders. You know, I've seen things like, hey, you know, I need four white warm towels laid out in my hotel room. <laughs> or I need all green M&Ms or, you know, I need X, Y, Z. Like, it could get crazy. But if you don't meet these things in this rider, it could become a breach of contract and they can refuse to do the show. Mm. So we have to really dot all our I's, cross all our T's, make sure all this stuff is set up. Um, it's, a, it's a beast out there, man. It's... um. It's definitely different from being behind a drum set. It's a different adrenaline rush. Excuse me, I can 
when I'm sitting behind drums, that's my comfort zone. I know I could be playing in front of, you know, 10,000 people and that's cool. But it's a different uh, feeling when you're standing, you know, backstage knowing mm-hmm. that it's 10,000 people out there and you're responsible for making sure that the show goes well or it's your head, you know? So <laughs> nah, that's, it's real. Such, that's, that's brilliant. It's different. <laughs> and yeah. now I want to use this kind of section of, the, um, of, this, of this segment right here to speak about and if you could boil it down to top three things for someone that is looking to, and I guess you can uh, 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 approach it in a layered level, someone that's interested into doing kind of what you do, like getting to, and as far as in, in the musical world, and you can approach it from a college perspective, some things that they can maybe start doing or working on. You can, and you can also attack it at from a young professional that maybe want to transition into the musical industry from the production side or whatnot. Or that is interested in kind of doing what you do. Um, one of the first things that I really want to encourage is I wish somebody would have told me this when I was in college. And so I'm huge, like I'm adamant about preaching this to people. Don't just go to college to go to college. Don't go to college to get a piece of paper and say I have a degree. Be involved. So I take myself as an example. I should have been that kid to been in the dean's office to make sure I can get every internship I possibly could. I should have been volunteering. I should have been that guy. When I walk across that stage, not only does everybody in my department know me, but everybody in my respective industry knows that I did everything I could to put a positive impact on the industry. So when it's time for me to go out in the workforce, they're like, hey, man, we know that kid to do his job. We know that kid to do what he's supposed to do. We would love to hire him. Mm-hmm. Whereas if you just sit back and party and just get your degree, I mean, everybody has an impressive resume. So what's going to set you apart from the next kid that submits his resume? So when you translate that to the musical aspect, if you're in school for music, be that kid to volunteer. Be that kid to go out. Be that kid to get your face known. Because in the music industry, it's all about who you know especially for drummers because nine times out of ten drummers aren't musical directors Mm -hmm. drummers are just you know the musician on on in the band or just the drummer the musical directors can be the keyboard player the guitar player the bass player whoever and if you don't set yourself apart to be known by those guys that to perform that job then you're less likely to get that big break you're less likely to get that gig because it's that kid that sat down with those guys rubbed elbows with those guys showed them that he was well worth and worthy to do this job. Whereas if you just sit back and think that your skill set is going to set you apart. Now we're in a different age. So YouTube and Instagram, Mm -hmm. you know, it's capital on a lot of careers. It's taking a lot of people, you know, in places that they couldn't get uh, years before, Mm -hmm. but very important to network. Very important to get your face out there because that's how you're going to get that call. You never know when that call is going to come ever. And what about for for our young adults? And side note to that, the thing about a lot of times the YouTube and Instagram, a lot of stuff can get you places that you you might not have been. But the thing is, sometimes if your skill set is not refined enough, it won't keep you there. Right. And attitude. Attitude. I can't tell you how many kids that I know that are talented and have a bad attitude and the kid that may not be as talented, but could do the job well, always gets the call. It's all about adapting and being be a, to be a people person, work well with people. It's impossible to succeed in the music industry if you're not if you can't relate with people. It's impossible. You have to work with them <laughs> on a basis. Um, but yeah, uh, from a professional aspect, um, sort of the same thing. Kind of get out there and you know network. But I also encourage education from a professional standpoint. Mm-hmm. Um, that's huge, especially if you want to be behind the scenes. I don't care if it's film, I don't, you know, television, what have you. Education is a main core piece. If I didn't have my, you know, my education stepping into this field, I would be lost. I would have no idea what I was doing because, yes, I have a business degree and what I do mainly involves music, but a lot of core values that I learned in college help me maintain the position that I have today. It's mm-hmm. it's all about managing people. It's about managing your time, managing events. You know, it's like literally 
at my job, I don't have, you know, a set schedule. Like, I'm not the kid that has to be to work at nine and has to leave at five. I speak to my CEO maybe like once a week and we just catch up. Other than that, he has no idea where I'm at. He has no idea what I'm doing. Mm-hmm. You know, and, and that's that's huge to his faith in me. But it also speaks to time management. It also speaks to determination. Like you have to be able to work when somebody's not watching. You have to be doing all the groundwork when nobody's watching. Because nobody pays attention to what you're doing while you grind. They just want to see the end result. Man, that's so, huge, man. That's huge. So when you when you're doing the stuff on the professional level, um, whatever that may be, take the time to get you to educate yourself. I, I can't. We could talk. Listen, Greg. We could talk all day about the music industry. There's so much stuff that I learned about the music industry. I'm huge on hip hop and rap. I love lyrics. I'm a lyricist head. Like I love it. Mm-hmm. I can talk about the industry. I can talk about secret society. I, all that stuff I studied because I was in it. I was in the hip hop pan touring for three years. Why wouldn't I want to know about hip hop? You know, mm-hmm. like so. Just educate yourself. Yeah, please. And at, and at the end of the show, we're definitely going. Um, give some contact information because I know like we we do the time we can't dive into a lot of stuff but man this guy knows his stuff because a he studied it he's been doing it his whole life and definitely definitely reach out in some fashion or form if you have any questions or whatnot and follow up man and it's crazy how we talking about this high level success and and what you've been able to accomplish as far through God through grace and through all these things but it all started with that metronome with your father, right? And when you were a kid mm-hmm. working on that craft and then elevating the churches at 13 and then telling them, oh, no, you're not good enough, right? You're good enough, but you're missing something right now. Get back. Then you came back a year later and got it. And then the next level going to Atlanta, a huge, mega, mega, mega church, great opportunity. You said, yo, I'm going to kill it. I'm going to kill it. And then you end up losing that gig. But all these things propelled you to kind of what you're doing today. And, man, that is freaking phenomenal, dog. So we're going to transition into... Um, a next round really quick and just going to talk about briefly the future because I know you, you talked about a couple things you're working on right now but what's in the pipeline for you in 2016 um 2016 is a, is a uh, is an exciting year for me man. Uh, from a musician standpoint I'm playing with a couple of new artists um, I'll actually get the opportunity to play South by Southwest this year. Mm. Super excited about that. That's one of the biggest festivals, you know, out there. Um, I still, you know, play for some of the artists that you listed. They have huge things. They have a couple of records dropping. Um, I'm on pace. I can't say much because I don't play for the artists yet, and I'm huge and not really speaking yeah. on my moves until, you know, but I'm in – on pace to be playing for some big names this year um some big festivals couple of talk shows um it's gonna be a good year playing last year i i know i played in a lot of historical places that i'll never forget but i'm set pace to do that again with new artists and bigger you know plat on bigger platforms so that's always a blessing um from a production standpoint uh the calendar is already full which mm, oh, yeah. i thank god for every day man that to me, that's amazing. And some of the shows that I get to do this year, um, I'm still humble. Every day, I tell people every day, man, I'm completely humbled by this production thing. I never saw myself doing this. Mm-hmm. Um, and not to jump ship, but something that I like to preach to everybody that wants to be a musician, we always have to think about what's next. Nobody mm-hmm. ever wants to think about, well, what am I going to do when I don't play drums anymore? Or what am I going to do if I don't play keys or guitar anymore? Or what am I going to do if I don't DJ anymore? And that's one of the biggest things that I admire about uh, Bobby Drake and Dez. Like, I, I don't know them personally, and mm-hmm. I met them a few times at the panel. But one of the things that I do love about the hustle and grind is that they realize that, hey, I may not be able to DJ for the rest of my life, so let me invest in something that may be a passion of mine that can still catapult to something greater, you know, when I can't stand behind these turntables anymore Mm -hmm. or I can't lift a weight anymore. And so that's what the production thing is for me. It's like, hey, you know, I'm be 30 this year, and I I hate to say that. It kind of (laughs) like, I'll be 30 this year, you know, and I got a one-year-old daughter. I have to, you know, set some example for her to see that, yes, I can follow my passion, but at the same time, you also have to have a backup plan to say, hey, you know, I did, God allowed me to do what I did in that respective field, but now it's time to take my knowledge and what I did in that and catapult that to something that can live for generations, you know? 
And you have to be able to think like, hey, what can I do later? Because I, I can't play drums. For, I don't plan on, you know, being on nobody tour when I'm 60. <laughs> <laughs> I can't do that. So, you know, that's huge on me. I, I'm sorry to kind of jump. No, no, bro. That was needed, bro. That was needed, man. And I tell you, this has been... And I've done a lot of interviews in my life, not even just on the podcast, but just in general. This has been like the easiest interview I ever had in my life, man, because they're just dropping so many, so many jewels mixed with so many stories mixed with so much actionable stuff. And you can tell you can tell when somebody's a guru and they know what they're talking about and like it's, it's, they're not reaching for stuff. They know what they're talking about, man. So um, before we even get to the culture change, culture, culture change around, man, like it's been a phenomenal well, I knew it was going to be a great interview, but this has exceeded my expectations of of the value that you're going to add to people. I can't wait to get it out there, man. Like this is this is some phenomenal stuff, man. Like I, I that's why I didn't even, I couldn't even talk in this whole interview because it's like, man, you this is this is some dynamite stuff, man. Dynamite, 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 man. So we going to transition to our last round, our most exciting round, quick rapid fire culture change round, where I'm going to ask a series of five questions. Five questions about yeah, you already know. If you if you if you're on season two, you know what the culture change route is about, man. So you ready to you ready to rock, bro? Yes, sir. All right, cool, man. So what is the best piece of advice you've ever received? Hmm. The best piece of advice I've ever received was probably one of my mentors um, always told me. To never let fear control you, but you drive the fear. And that basically means don't be afraid of something and not try it, but be afraid to fail. Be afraid to, be afraid to not try. Mm-hmm. Be afraid you know, to not succeed. So back to what, I, what I've been saying this whole show, it's like how I take fear, I use fear as motivation. So I look at fear like, hey, you know, this may be scary, but I'm going to use that for fuel to continue to move forward, continue to keep pushing. And I can tell you from doing what I do, the first time I played in front of a large crowd, I was shaking so bad. I didn't think I was going to be able to get through this show. <laughs> you know, but, you know, like that fear, the, the ability to be able to take fear and use it as motivation has been like huge in my life. And I don't know where I'd be if I didn't have anybody tell me to do that. Got you, got you, got you. Um <clears throat> what is one of the what is one of your personal habits that can be attributed to your success? Uh work ethic. My it's a habit for me to work. It's a habit for me to practice. Like I'm like my wife will tell you all the time, I can't sit still. So having a day off just sitting in the house, it never happens. We always have to do something constructive. We always have to do something productive. Um, It's just embedded in me to wake up. Hey, even if I have a day off, like, we'll be on vacation. I'll be like, let's go run a mile. Let's just do something. Let's just not sit here and not, you know, just sit on our butts. Let's go run a mile. Let's go read a book. Let's, Let's do something. So that's that's what you know one of the things that i made a habit that kind of contributes to my success that's real man so third question man what is your favorite book and why the bible outside of the bible (laughs) i I say i know that's cliche (laughs) my favorite book outside of the bible is oh man what's the name of the book uh the five languages of love of the or the five love languages everybody's been saying i still haven't read it man like what like what is up with that That book? book That book changed my relationship with my wife, yo. Like, it it really helped me see, you know, that we're all different. But it kind of, you know, brings everything into perspective that everyone has a different love language. And your love language may be different from hers. But if you learn her love language, then it'll make your life ten times easier. Because, mm. okay. like, case in point, I'm... I'm I'm in an industry where constructive criticism is second nature. Somebody mm-hmm. can yell at me and cuss me out, and I just eat the meat and spit out the bones and keep it moving. Mm-hmm. Whereas with my wife, if I curse at her, then that's all she remembers. She's, just like, <laughs> she's talking to me crazy. I can't deal with that. He's being mean. 
you know, but when you learn somebody's love language and you learn how they interact and how they act, you know, you got to tone it down to approach them so to be well received. You know, it's just small things in the book. I actually have the book. I, I'll let you hold it if you want to read it, man. That's cool. No, no, no doubt, bro. I got because that is huge. It's kind of yeah, man. Offline, that's yeah. I got I'm, that's boom. That's confirmation I need to get. It's like the third, or fourth person last week that's told me about that book, man. Yeah, it's a good read, man. What inspires you and keeps you motivated? My daughter, my family, um, my wife, man. It's coming up in Durham, man. Like, again, I can't really speak on everything. We won't have enough time. Mm -hmm. But I didn't have, you know, the silver spoon lifestyle growing up. I watched my mom struggle heavily. Um, I'm not, and I'm not talking about. You know, the daily struggle of, you know, we can't buy you tennis shoes a day. No, I'm talking about the daily struggle of, I don't know if I'm going to have lunch money for you today. Mm -hmm. I don't know if we're going to stay today. Mm -hmm. You know, I don't know how we're going to keep the car today. You know what I'm saying? Mm -hmm. And stuff like that keeps me humble because it's like, and I watched my mom give up everything. You know, I watched my, my family give up everything just to ensure somebody like me could survive. So that, those experiences alone is motivation. When I wake up every day and I can go in my daughter's room and just be humble enough that she has a room, you know, mm. like it's the small stuff that always keeps me motivated and humbled, man. Cause this stuff could go away in a second, man. Materialistic things, this job, my career, I can, I get a call for drums ever again. You know how many talented musicians there are? You know how many well qualified production managers there are? You know, I, I'm aware that I'm blessed to be in this position. And so I never take it for granted. I'm always humble. I'm always motivated to, you know, stay humble and to stay grounded because this stuff is temporary, man. Like this stuff isn't guaranteed to be here tomorrow. You got to be thankful for what you have. Take it all with a grain of salt and just stay grounded. No, more bombs. Like the bombs just don't stop. That's real, man. That's real. Can't wait to. I always re-listen to, to podcasts before I even play them again, before I even go live. So. I mean, every time, God, this is crazy. If you were the president of the United States, what is the first thing you would do? Yeah, if I was the president of the United States, the first thing that I would do is, and maybe this is going to sound crazy, but the first thing I would do, honestly, would, would try to establish and preach hope and love. Because I think right now we're such in a, we're such, a united but a divided nation, you know? Mm -hmm. We're still not that far out of segregation and racism and all that other stuff. That stuff still lives. Um, from police brutalities and, like, racial differences and cultural differences, man, we're all the same people. We breathe the same air. We got the same blood. And I wish from not only a cultural standpoint but from a people standpoint that we would just realize that if we just all came together and supported each other if we all came together and realized yes we're different but we're all the same then life i think life would be an easier place to be like life would be we'll be in a better place it's no reason that i'm walking down the street and because i have on a hoodie and tattoos that i should be racially profiled just like i don't think that it's okay if we see somebody of an Islamic descent or has Islamic beliefs and they're fully covered, that they're terrorists. You know, like it's stuff that, long story short, I just want to get to a, a space in life where it's not, to me, it's not a black thing. It's not a white thing. It's just a people thing. Us as people need to come together and realize who we are and realize that if we supported each other, that life would be easy. Man, that's real, man. That's real. So that's the end of that round. And, you know, um, we have one final question and then we're going to get contact information and then uh, wrap up the show. But our last question, we got 45 seconds with this one. Um, and you kind of touched on it on the last one. We're going to speak specifically for the African-American culture. So if you could change one thing about society, most specifically our African-American culture, what would it be and why? I would love to change our mindset our mindset is that you know we can't support each other or we have to be one up over the next man or we have to shine more harder than this guy or we got to succeed more than this man i just want us to be able to come together as a people and support each other support black owned businesses support what we do 
don't don't separate it from being different from another ethnicity group or being different from another culture. But if we support each other and catapult those businesses, those television shows, those podcasts, things of that nature and support it and uplift it, then I think that'll give us a sense of equality amongst the people. Is the whole purpose of this podcast, and I, I love, and I, that's why I appreciate every single person that's ever been on this show, because y'all don't have to do this, man. I gave y'all a call, say, hey, man, could you be on my show with the Woo? Even before I even launched the podcast, we didn't know like who was going to be watching it, how many downloads going to get. I just want to share these conversations, and everybody, not one person, have you jump over hoops and whatnot because everybody's busy. Like y'all have everybody's been on this on on this podcast has busy lives, busy schedule, and to set up set aside our time just to share advice, share knowledge, share their story, man. It's so powerful and important. So I just I just please everyone out there if you're listening, continue to support each other. I know it's hard though, because you see somebody that's in your lane, in your craft, and you're doing great. And and maybe in your head you're like, man, God, man, why are they doing so good? I'm just as talented as this, but just especially those of color, man, support it, man. Like really support it. And it doesn't mean you have to share their stuff, whatever, but just refrain. When you think about that, when that negative thought comes to your head, like, man, why are they doing that? Just being like, man, that's amazing. Like it's a human thing. Like if I see somebody that's speaking or got a podcast they, and they doing this, they doing their thing. That's amazing, man. Or if anything, that's amazing. But also, how are they doing it? Can I can I can I get some tips? Can I call them? Can I contact them? Can I send them an email and get some advice? I don't care if they're younger than me. So um, that's huge, man. So we're gonna wrap it up, man. Um, for those that may be interested in getting in contact with you or getting some getting some words of wisdom, how could how could they reach you? How could they find you, man? Um. On social media, it's just Mike J Drums. That's Twitter. That's Instagram. Um, my name on Facebook is Michael Johnson. My full name is Michael Anthony Johnson Jr. I don't know if that's all the way on Facebook like that, but Michael Johnson. Is how you can find me on Facebook. Uh, reach out and uh, email Mike J Drums at gmail dot com. Uh, you can send production emails there and uh, per- like musicianship emails because my production email is way too long and it's kind of <laughs> tough to get people to so yeah mikejjones at gmail.com man please man i don't care what the question is what i just reach out man i'm an open book i'll tell you whatever you want to know what you like to know it just this is critical man i i, I challenge you for those that really have questions to follow up because um first Mike is one of the most humblest guys that does some extraordinary stuff from a worldly perspective that you will ever get to see as a as a from a musical performer. I mean, so I'm very humble that you allow that information. So please, if guys take advantage, he said, ask questions, ask questions, get advice, get feedback, um, follow up. So um, to wrap it up, man, thank you so much, man, for for being on the show, dog. Like, I appreciate you. Thank you for having me, man. Again, I know we said before we started recording, man, I'm just always humbled by this stuff. Like, I don't even feel like I'm worthy of sharing my story. You know, I just, I'm just a kid that just wanted to work hard. I had a dream, and I appreciate you having me. You know, I, I support the movement. I think what you're doing is great. Keep doing it, man. We need stuff like this. Man, that was a powerful, powerful, powerful show. Thank you for tuning in, everyone, this long and I'm going to let y'all go. <laughs> I think I said enough. And I think Brother Johnson has said enough as well. Make sure you reach out to that man. Tell him a shout out for having a great interview. Whatever you want to do. But definitely, definitely, definitely thank you everyone for tuning in. And we closing in. You know how we always do at the end of the show. I need you to do two things. One, leave a review. <laughs> and follow us on SoundCloud. If you listen via SoundCloud or iTunes, subscribe. But two, 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 two. I need you to change the culture. Good night.